morning, everyone. Welcome to Hawaii Community Church. Welcome. So glad you're here. Would you stand if you're able? We're going to spend some time.
Well, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Let's try that again. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Great, yes. This is our, our Christmas Eve Eve service, but as some of the youth told me, that it's a Christmas Adam service, because Adam came first, then Eve. Uh, Bible jokes. We got those at church. That happens. Well, welcome to the La Jolla Community Church. My name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the director of Community Life. If you have your bulletins, go ahead and take that out. And flip it to the front cover, and we have our prayer and connection card. This is a great opportunity for us to connect with you and connect with your prayers, and we can pray together. Uh, we're going to take a few short moments. If you're a visitor here, go ahead and fill that out. If you're a longtime member, we want you to fill it out. Just reach in the seat back in front of you, 
Everybody follow my lead. We're going to reach in the seat back in front of you, and we're going to pull out one of those brand new prints that was put in there by Jan Miss Janet and some of her elves this morning to help us fill those out. So we're going to take the next 10 to 15 seconds, and we're going to fill out that prayer and connection card. Taking the, thank you for taking the time to, to fill that out. It's an honor every week to get together and pray over those prayer requests. There's no prayer request too big. There's none too small. Uh, we love to, even if you're just throwing your name on there and just checking one of the box, it's our honor and privilege just to pray for you. And this brings us to our first announcement. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Who knew? Just me. If you haven't done your shopping, I have it on good authority. There's several stores open 24 hours tonight, so you still got time. However, tomorrow is our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be here at 4.30 and 6 p.m. Say it with me. 4.30 and 6 p.m. There's two services. It's going to be here tomorrow. It's a great opportunity. If you have friends or neighbors, invite them. It's going to be a festive time. We're going to have cocoa and coffee and treats and cookies and a photo booth. Candlelight service. Don't miss it. It's tomorrow at 4.30 and 6 p.m. Well, next Sunday is our end-of-the-year brunch. And it's going to be after the second and first and second service. We have two brunches going, so you can come for either one. This is a great opportunity to look at 2018 with our family and friends and people we're meeting and just celebrate what God has done in our life. So that's next Sunday. It's a free brunch. Invite people. There's going to be pa uh, sorry waffles, not pancakes, waffles and sausage and eggs. So just come and celebrate with people what God has done for you in 2018 and look forward and dream of what he's going to do in 2019. Well, if you're a first-time visitor or guest, and you, or if you filled out that prayer connection card, you could take that, and the ushers are going to come forward after the sermon. You could fold that up and put that in there. So let's go to a time of prayer. Almighty God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We praise you for this season of excitement, expectation, and wonder. You have sent your son to be our Redeemer and Savior. Our hearts are filled with joy because of the love you have shown to us. We ask you, Lord, to remove anything in our lives that is keeping us from a closer relationship with you. May we continually pray for more of you and less of ourselves. We ask you, Lord, to bless our church as we reach out to our community to help and encourage everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. We ask you, Lord, to bless our city, our state, and our country, to encourage our leaders to turn to you for guidance, and may they seek your wisdom. Father, we pray for those who are in pain and suffering, both physically as well as emotionally. Bring your people alongside them to offer support and encouragement to help them see you in what they are experiencing. Trusting you have a purpose and a plan. We know for you nothing is impossible. We praise and thank you for the blessings you have given and continue to give. May we be aware of your presence, your guidance, your comfort, and your wisdom, Holy Spirit as we live our lives one day at a time, trusting you are guiding us home to live with you eternally. Now worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power 
and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing forever. Amen. Thank you. Well, I hope you're having a good Advent season, uh, especially as you stand on the eve of, of Christmas, uh, tomorrow night, uh, Christmas Eve services. Uh, we've been talking about what does Advent mean. Uh, we talked about the fact that Advent, Advent means expectation, uh, it means surprise, it means conflict. Uh, today we're talking about the fact that Advent means wonder. That means wonder, and we want to explore that. Uh, wonder sounds like a, a kind of a weak word in our culture. But I want you to leave today uh, understanding the power of wonder. And without wonder, uh, there's, very, there's, there's very little power in our faith. And not in terms of saying, I wonder what I believe, but rather, what is it? And what are the implications of that which we believe? If we don't get this right, we will contribute to the, the shallowness and the superficial nature of our culture. Uh, one of the crazy things that we face at this time of year is the incredible, amazing, uh, overwhelming material wealth of our culture and the spiritual poverty in our culture. It's not a judgment, it's just an observation. And so the more stuff we buy, the less satisfied we are, and there's less a sense of wonder in terms of what we're gonna talk about today than I wonder why I did that. And, and, and why am I caught in this, in this uh, treadmill of, of materialism that robs me of my identity and robs me of this sense of wonder that I was created for. Well, so I want to explore that with you. Advent means wonder. I'm going to look at a, a couple of instances of this out of Luke chapter 2. We'll read them through uh, tomorrow night at Christmas Eve uh, services, but I want to touch on them today. By the way, uh, in the time uh, remaining in this month, uh, through now to the end of the year, I strongly recommend that you read Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2, to give you the fullest understanding of the Christmas narrative. Included in that are the genealogies. Read the genealogies. Where did Jesus come from? Uh, and those two uh, chapters in Matthew, those two chapters in Luke, are very powerful ways to understand and recapture uh, the narrative of Advent and the reason for Christmas. So in Luke chapter 2, uh, we see this, that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, uh, keeping watch over the flocks at night. These are people, uh, uh, generations after generation after generation of people. David, the great king of Israel, was a shepherd. And so here they are out, out around Bethlehem, the village just outside of, of uh, Jerusalem. Nowadays, Bethlehem seems like it's connected to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was expanded. Uh, but to this day, as you drive through Bethlehem and out of the main part of Bethlehem, you can see the fields. Uh, lots of urban sprawl and infill, but still, there are places where people are raising their sheep uh, there in Bethlehem. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Uh, how many of you have ever been to the Pitti Palace in Florence and seen some of the beautiful works of art? How, how many of you have ever been to any art and uh, any museum where you've seen depictions of angels? Uh, they do not terrify you, they make you giggle, right? Uh, these little puffy marshmallow-like pootie uh, are not fearsome. You look at those and you think, they are so cute, I just want to poke it. I want to poke it, you know. Uh, and uh, this is not what these guys uh, confronted. Uh, they confronted a messenger of God who filled them with terror. Uh, there's only one reason in their minds that this messenger of God was there, we're in big trouble. And they were terrified. Uh, I don't know the last time you were terrified. Nobody likes being terrified. Being terrified is a horrible feeling. Uh, though I don't know why horror movies are so popular in our culture. Uh, horror movies are on the rise. Uh, the whole zombie thing has been going crazy for a decade now. 
and, and horror movies continue to increase. I don't get the preoccupation with terror because real terror in real life uh, is not pleasant. Um, and, and, and the idea of being confronted out in a lonely place with this messenger of God was unnerving and unhinging uh, to these tough guys because shepherds are tough people. Even if they look like they're you know, young boys or older men and everybody, think, everybody in between, they have to deal with a lot of tough stuff. And so for them to be terrified says something. I, I wanna, I'm emphasizing this because if we don't start to understand the deep emotional resonance of these narratives, of these passages, we contribute to the flattening out of the narrative of Christmas. Uh, but this, this narrative wants to draw us in and say, what would it have been like to be there? If you've ever been on a plane and, they, and you're going like this up and down and the turbulence is bad and all the panicked uh, personnel on the plane are rushing around telling everybody to get it ready and they're locking themselves in and the pilot comes on, and you, you've had a sense of terror, right? These are the sorts of things that induce terror. That uncertainty that I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to be good. And I have no control over the situation. So that's where we are in this. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Good news that will cause great joy. Oh, that's pretty neat. Good news that will cause great joy. Let that sink in. Uh, uh, a stern official comes to your door, knocks at the door, they're in uniform, you open the door and you think, dear God, somebody I love has died. It's happened to our family. Maybe it's happened in your family where you say, what happened? And in this case, it's good news that's gonna bring you so much great joy. It's my great privilege to tell you something right now, right? So here they are, dark, now it's lit up. And so today in the town of David, um, and they're looking over to, yeah, Bethlehem, that's the town of David, right? A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one you have hoped for, the one that bears all of Israel's hopes and yearnings and aspirations to be redeemed by God. Uh, spoken of by the prophets, uh, documented throughout the, the First Testament or the Old Testament, uh, <clears throat> the Messiah was the hope of every Jew. What would it be like for the Messiah to come? He will be terrific, but terrific to, the, to our, our oppressors. He will terrify our oppressors because he's going to call them to account. He's going to reverse the roles. He's going to set things right, putting us back in our rightful place as God's chosen people. And so he says, this will be a sign to you <laughs> that the, the awesome Messiah and Lord of God has come back to earth. This will be the sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Not exactly auspicious. A baby, right, wrapped in cloths like a baby is, right, placed in a manger, that's a little different. Let me clarify one thing though. When we think of manger, we tend to think in terms of an outbuilding where farm animals and farm implements are kept. Uh, a manger in this setting, every, every house, as far as you could go, uh, until you got actually into the city itself, had a manger in it. Every house was constructed so the family lived in one part of the house, there were sleeping quarters or sleeping areas and eating and cooking areas. And then there was just a little bit lower area right by the front door. That's where the animals were brought in at night to be protected from, from uh, you know, uh, animals that could kill them or from people stealing them or them wandering off and getting into trouble. So a manger was not unusual. 
What was unusual about this was the fact that in somebody's house, there's a baby, and that baby is the Messiah, the Lord. When, when, when Joseph and Mary uh, were invited by Caesar Augustus to leave Nazareth and make the long journey while she's fully pregnant to go to Bethlehem uh, to be part of the census, uh, the assumption would be, of course, we're going to go with our extended family from Nazareth. We're going to all caravan down together, and then we're going to show up in Bethlehem, and we're all going to be uh, living with relatives because we're all of the tribe of David. But when you get there late and everybody's crammed into the house, the only place is the very front of the house that has any room in it, and there's a manger there. So you're squeezed in with some of the farm animals. So uh, I don't want to ruin your, your nativity scene. Don't throw it away. Keep it. I looked at ours uh, yesterday. I thought, oh, this is such a misrepresentation. But I thought, but what a great reminder uh, that, that in this inauspicious, very humble setting, these these shepherds were instructed to go find the Messiah, the Lord. Are you sure he won't be at the temple? Are you sure he won't be in the palace now occupied by Herod? No, he'll be in the temple in Bethlehem. I mean, excuse me, in the city, uh, a little house in a manger in Bethlehem, not at the temple in Jerusalem. Well, then it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. Now, the heavenly host is a description of a fearsome group of these messengers, of people who would be God's army. Again, not a lot, not, it's not a pooty party, you know, it's not all the little, the little marshmallow people converging. It's these people who are fearsome. Having just been told by a fearsome representative, don't be afraid, I imagine now they're just blown away. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm seeing this. This company, this heavenly host, appears with the angel, praising God and singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. <clears throat> Once again, I, I want to pause just to say, let the emotionality of this sink in with you. Um, if you've ever been pulled over at night by a policeman, you have a little sense of this. I won't even ask you if you've been pulled over at night by a policeman. I will tell you my personal experience of this. Uh, in, in college, and I'm, 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 I'm part of a Young Life team leading this Young Life club at Willow Glen High School, and I'm driving down Meridian Avenue afterwards and in, in my VW, and I... I Here's some yelling my name. I look across, and there's some kid over on the side of the road who wasn't at the Young Life Club waving at me. Hey, how you doing? And I kind of veer over on the line of the road, and there's nobody on the, on the road anyway. But I veer over, and I correct, I correct for that. And then all of a sudden, the lights, the whole world lights up. The entire city of San Jose lit up and shone on, my, on, my, on the back of my car. And it was this moment of, whoa, what was that? Oh, my gosh, it's a cop pulling me over. <clears throat> so I, I pull over, I get out, and I'm looking at a guy with no neck. Very short hair and, and very serious and stern. He's looking at me in jeans and a t-shirt and very long hair. He's going, you been drinking? I'm like, uh, no, I haven't. He goes, then why'd you, why'd you weave on the road? I said, well, I was saying hi to the kid over there. Just then, a car full of all these young life kids drive by, slowing down just long enough to go, hey, <laughs> I can see you there. And he goes, who are those? Goes, uh, those are some of the kids I was just with at this young life club. What's the young life club? Well, I told him what it was, and he let me go. But it was bright. It was bright and a little scary and disorienting because I thought, man, how do I explain this to this guy? Uh, at that point, when I realized what was going on, and he let me go, I said, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace <laughs> to those on whom his favor rests. Because at that moment, I was very much feeling the peace of God flooding through me with all the adrenaline that was coursing through my veins. Uh, maybe you wouldn't be so shocked. Maybe this happens to you all the time and you're used to being pulled over. I'm not. Um, 
But it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The emotionality of this was not just moving in terms of my feelings. It's, it's connecting feelings to thoughts, to experiences, to her own encounter with the messenger of God who told her she'd be bearing the Messiah. And she's hearing this and hearing them recount excitedly this story, this encounter that they just had. Can you imagine what was going through her uh, body at that point? The adrenaline of confirmation and inspiration reminded them, oh my gosh, that wasn't just me imagining. This is really true. This is what it's looking like. And so she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Well, then let's fast forward uh, to now, uh, not an infant in the manger, but as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus has traveled with his family from Nazareth back down, uh, down south to uh, Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is south and yet up. So you're going down in terms of direction south. We think of south as going down usually, and, but it's going up in elevation. So they're now at one of the big feasts, probably a Passover feast. He's 12. And the caravan has gone down together, and the caravan has now returned to, on the way to Nazareth. And, it, and they realize Jesus is not to be found. This is not a call to child protective services like we would do. What do you mean you didn't know where your child was for three days? It was that, well, with this extended group of family and friends, that's how we travel, and they could have been with any aunts and uncles, or neighbors, friends, uh, with this you know, horde of kids and families traveling, and we just realized he's not with us. So after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. To this day, if you go to what's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, just just a foundational part of what was once the mighty temple. That courtyard area and the surrounding uh, little enclaves of buildings are filled with people doing just this. Rabbis holding forth, stacks of books, they're all dressed in their rabbi regalia, and there's young boys listening carefully and being quizzed and participating in the conversation. And it's just, it's just this very intense conversation about theology. That's what they found him doing. And so when his parents saw him there, uh, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxious searching for you. Any mother would say that. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. So get the down they're going up north, but it's down by elevation. So they went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Uh, but the vapor trail from this continued with Mary, right? Because again, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary's whole life this, this far from being a young woman with her first encounter with the angel Gabriel has been one of pondering and wondering and treasuring. Uh, with these occasional updates to remind her of the incredible role she's been asked to play. Uh, fast forward again to the cross. What was it like for her to stand at the cross looking at Jesus suffering uh, in shame, crucified by the Romans, uh, but for the sake of, of the Jewish people? And, th and those words from him, mother, here is your son, acknowledging that John would be taking care of her. Son, here is your mother. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, the last time I was in Israel, I was fortunate enough to be in an antiquity store, and I was able to purchase uh, a, a 
one page from Mary's diary, and I'd like to read it to you right now. Um, this is from Mary's diary dated September 29, 3 AD. And this would have been just after Herod had, had given the word to uh, destroy all the children in Bethlehem. This would have happened uh, not long uh, after these uh, angels had brought the good news uh, to them. And uh, Mary and Joseph were directed to go down to Egypt. So here she writes, Heavenly Father, what a year. Who would have thought last year when Joseph and I were betrothed, I'd be married, a mother, and living in Egypt? I met some interesting people and traveled farther from Nazareth than I ever imagined. I keep pondering it all. I wonder what's next. I thank you, Lord God, for Joseph and this precious baby. We are so glad Jesus is with us. May your will be done. Uh, we don't tend to think of this uh, whole encounter in these terms. A young woman processing what no woman has processed before, that not only am I a mom and I'm married and, and I'm living in difficult times, but this baby, every baby is special. Uh, I, I just saw, where's Christopher? I just playing keywords. Saw his baby this morning. She is a doll. Every mom thinks the baby is special. Um, but in this case, uh, she's pondering and treasuring these things. Uh, what does that mean? Is it just the natural pride of a mom? Or is there more to it? To wonder and ponder means thinking and feeling deeply. It means processing and discussing things that really matter. It's not being self-obsessed. It's being thoughtful and reflective about what you're seeing and feeling and experiencing and trying to understand it. It means holding on to them. That's what the word treasure literally means. To treasure something is to hold on to it. This is so valuable, I'm not going to let it go. Whether it's a child or, or, or a material object or something that I'm supposed to hold on to, I'm not going to let go of this. I know where it is. I know where to find it. It's not forgetting what's most important to you, to your Heavenly Father, um, and, and it's what forms you. What we ponder and what we treasure is what forms us. <clears throat> if you are an inveterate worrier, you are treasuring your worries, your anxieties. You're holding on to them. Can you imagine the effect of that on everybody around you? Because it forms you. The child whose parent is absolutely overwhelmed with worry you hear an echo? I'm hearing an echo. Echo, echo, echo. I'm going to step back from this, and maybe that'll help a little bit. If you're that person who's worrying, and you're constantly stressed over things, it's forming you. It's making the world a more scary place than it needs to be. And more importantly, it's, it's influencing the people around you. Because you're afraid that, I know, just, I just know that something bad's going to happen. If you're a person who is constantly pondering and treasuring, gaining uh, something, any kind of goal, it becomes the most important thing to you. Now, this is good, as long as it, it's in the right context, right? If you're treasuring the wrong things, it's deadly. I said this before, every person with an addiction is treasuring that addiction. They might resent it, they might hate it, they know that it's destroying them, but they can't let go of it. If I let go of this, I have nothing. But in the best sense, taking time to engage in deep wonder over what God is doing and what we are becoming in Christ frees us to do these things, to connect and to make connections. 
It allows us to, to, to say, okay, Lord, what, what is my life connected to? Who am I connected to? What are these experiences I'm having connected to? What are these feelings I'm having connected to? What am I supposed to understand about this? What is it you want to teach me about this? It's about imagining. What are the possibilities here? Where could this go? You see, when, when we stop imagining, we start to have a very small, eventually very cynical, and eventually very resentful perspective on life. Life is horrible, and I just got to get through it somehow. We start to make very bad decisions when we stop imagining what our life could be. Years ago, a, mom, a single mom called me and said, I'm really concerned about my daughter. <clears throat> She's a sophomore in high school. She wants to quit school. She's threatening to quit school. Would you talk to her? I said, yeah, sure. You know, she was a kid in that youth group, and I, I pulled her aside. I said, hey, can we chat a little bit? How's it going for you? She said, oh, it's fine, except for you know, my mom is just trying to control me, and she's so unreasonable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, wow, it sounds like your mom is going through a very difficult time. And she's imagining the worst possible things happening to you. And maybe she's reliving some of the choices she made, and she's afraid you're making those choices right now. So why would you want to live that way? What do you want for you? What do you want to do? You're a sophomore in high school. What do you want to do? Well, I want to be an attorney. I said, why do you want to be an attorney? She says, I want to advocate for people. I want to be their advocate. I want to, I want to help people in difficult situations. I said, that's fantastic. I said, do you know what it takes to be an attorney? She goes, I think so. I said, it often starts with graduating from high school. And then you go to college, and then you go to law school. And, and so why are you doing things that would undermine that? You, to get back at your mom? Can you imagine your life moving ahead the way you really wanted to versus imagining what would happen if you just spent all your time resenting your mom and quitting high school? Confirming her worst fears, right? So this process of imagining, uh, we're putting ourselves in a place to say, what is the possible? See, the imaginary is, is fantasy, it's magical thinking. To be imaginative is to say, what are the possibilities? This can be tested in the real world. The imaginative life is an exciting life because you say, I think I can test this in the real world. The imaginary life just never happens. So the idea of connecting the dots and saying, oh my gosh, I see these patterns. Do I want to break out of them or do I want to continue them? What can I imagine being different or better? How about daydreaming? Daydreaming is a, is a, is a, pro, is a part of treasuring. Again, daydreaming, we use it as sort of a critical thing for people. You're just a daydreamer. Einstein was a daydreamer. Can you imagine a kid in South Africa looking up at that beautiful southern sky? I can tell you, in a place where there's no ambient light, looking up at the stars in South Africa, you think, it's awesome. It is so inspiring. Can you imagine a 10-year-old kid doing that, saying, I see the satellites going across the sky. I want to build those someday. I want to, I want to build rockets someday. And one day Elon Musk actually does it. A 10-year-old kid from South Africa becomes uh, you know, a 30 or 40-year-old man saying, I've been studying long and hard, having daydreamed about this and imagined this and connecting the dots. This is what we're doing. We're going to put up more rockets than anybody's ever put up before. This is the power of daydreaming. Likewise, pondering, hey, what's, what's next for me? Do I have what it takes to do what I think I'm uh, made to do and want to do? How about praying? Praying is part of this continuum. Likewise, in our culture, we often disdain prayer. Oh, are you going to pray about it? That's helpful. No, it is helpful. Because when we pray, we're harnessing those connections, that imaginative way of seeing life. 
the deep pondering about what is possible, what is real based on what I know about who God is. And then we reflect deeply on where we've been and where we're going. We remember some things. You know, the people of Israel never made a move without remembering who they were, remembering where they've been. If you read the, the First Testament, the Old Testament, constantly, if they came to a new situation, what would they do? They'd recount their history. They'd remember. They'd start with the beginning again. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, blah, blah, blah. They'd go through the whole thing. Sometimes they'd leave reminders so that if they're walking back across the place they'd been, they'd go, oh, that pile of rocks. That's where... Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's those sorts of things that involve remembering. Sometimes it's the hard things. Wow, Lord, the Lord brought me through some really hard things. As I remember back of where I was and where I am now, that girl now practicing law saying, as a sophomore, I thought I wanted to quit school. For us, uh, adoration becomes part of this continuum of pondering and wondering and treasuring in our hearts, adoring the Lord, singing songs of adoration, lifting up prayers and praise of adoration, thanking God, praising him, recognizing his magnificence and greatness, being overwhelmed with humility that he would somehow care about us and want to favor us. Ultimately, all this ends in a place hopefully called commitment. Because see, that imaginary process never leads to commitment. It's always unresolved. It's always unformed potential. But in this, in this imaginative life that God has called us to, the sense of wonder, we get to make commitments. Well, I'll try that. It's that whole design approach to life. A bias for action. I'm going to take a step in that direction. I might fail. It might take me longer than I thought. But at least I'll commit to this first step and the next step after that. And after that bias for action comes that that, that whole way of, of saying, well, what if I created a prototype? What if I went to this school so I could go to that school? What if I got this certification so I could qualify for that one? What if I, you see where this goes? And then from the prototype, you go to iterating. I'll try that again. I'll try that on a higher level. And all of a sudden you realize, my gosh, where I started doesn't look anywhere like where I am. But it all came out of an initial commitment and a recommitment all along the way. Janet and I have been married for 35 years of recommitment. Michael playing drums uh, represents a lot of commitment. Anything that's done at a high level represents somebody's baby steps toward great strides, all about commitment. So this is the power of pondering. This is the power of wondering. This is the power of treasuring in our hearts. You see, living without a big goal or a serious plan or a commitment or accountability or risk causes me to wonder what in the world you've been wondering about in your life. If somebody was to say to you, hey, what is the greatest risk you're taking on right now? And you said, uh, I don't know. I don't like risk. I'm risk averse. Oh, okay. Well, um, what's, your, what's your goal? What's your big dream? Oh, I gave up those long ago. I was so disappointed. Okay. Uh, do you have any kind of serious plan about what you'll do in this next year? No, I'm just kind of roll out. It'll happen. Do you have any people who you've invited to walk with you and encourage you and remind you of this commitment, uh, i.e. accountability partners? Not to catch you doing something wrong, but to pull you close and say, hey, I believe you can do it. When will you do it? See, if you don't have that, that level and all those details and, and, and practical aspects of commitment, what are you treasuring? What are you wondering about? What are you pondering? 
Are you so caught up in the hurts of the past, the disappointments of the past, you're robbing yourself of the present and denying yourself a future? You see, Colossians, Paul writes to these people in Colossae, now in modern-day Turkey. He says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile, God has chosen, he made a decision, he made a commitment, he's holding himself accountable, he's made a promise and he's keeping it, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Mystery by definition, you cannot understand it but for it being revealed to you. Which is, and here's the big mystery that he's made known among the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God chooses to embed his hope in us that produce, produces that in us that glorifies him. That's a high and holy calling. That's not limited by age or stage. You can do this as a four-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as a 44-year-old, as an 84-year-old. You can do this from your earliest memories to the last breath you take in life. This is the glory of God, that we are fully alive to him and fully alive to whatever he's called us to do and be. Be it ever so humble, we can glorify him there. Be it ever so exalted, we can glorify him there. This is the power of the advent. To introduce to us the mystery of God that he wants his glory to reside in us and, and to shine from us. That he'd be honored and glorified and that we can enjoy the privilege of being part of that. So somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I just love what you're doing for Jesus. And you want to be humble and you'll say, oh, no, no, no. And you discount it. Learn not to discount it. Learn to say, thank you. I still to this day, if somebody says something to me, I'll go, oh, no, no, no. I'll make a joke about it or something. I just need to get more comfortable saying, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. That's super helpful. Because God is being glorified. And don't get in the, don't get in the way of that with your own insecurities, your own sense of wanting to be humble. Uh, just say thank you. It's an honor to somehow bear and, and, and reflect the glory of God. This is what we were created for. This is what Mary was wondering and pondering and treasuring in her heart. Why me? Why am I getting to do this? Why did the angel say to me, Hail Mary, full of grace. The favor of God is upon you. Why did the shepherds come to you in, in that small place with a manger saying, we've come to see he who was born king of the Jews? Followed not long after by some wise men, some magi. Why me, Lord? Well, I don't know, but thank you, Lord, for picking me. This is how you can feel in everything you do, no matter what you do. But Lord, thank you for picking me. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Something horrible happens. You say, Lord, somehow you picked me for this. I don't know why. I want to be resentful and critical and cynical and perpetually angry. But Lord, I'm going to say, thank you for choosing me. Paul goes on to say, because he is the one we proclaim. Admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully developed in him. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Do you see that wonderful way of, of, of framing that? I strenuously contend. I'm fully engaged. I'm fully committed. I'm fully immersed in this. But it's all of his power that's doing the work in me. I'm not making my own life. I'm not writing my own story. But I'm responding to God in a way that does make a life and make a story. 
It's powerful. I contend strenuously with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And so the power of wonder is in, is in engaging. These are all active words. The power of wonder is in engaging our imagination, harnessing our creative energy, serving Jesus the Messiah. Why? So that people are truly blessed and God's glory is revealed. <clears throat> all of us, everyone in this room, if you, if you aspire to do anything that puts you in a place of growth and trust and risk and accountability and thinking big ideas and making serious plans, you're going to be disappointed by petty, small-minded people. And if you get wrapped around that axle, uh, you've lost. What you want to do is to say, you know what? In spite of all the things, the pushbacks, the disappointments, the, the, the issues I have to deal with, I'm going to continue to engage my imagination. I'm going to continue harnessing my creative energy because I want to serve Jesus the Messiah so that people can be somehow blessed through me and my humble, modest efforts so that God's glory is revealed. If you start every day and end every day like that, uh, you're going to be like Mary saying, I just can't help but ponder and wonder and treasure these things. You see, being wonder-filled is not grandiosity. Look how awesome I am. It's saying, look how awesome God is. It's not wasted time. It's invested time. Uh, it's not wishful thinking. It's hopeful thinking. I belong to the one who calls me beloved. It's simply filling our spirit, our soul, our mind with Christ. And when we do that, Christ reveals a bigger view of, this, of, of his powerful life-giving presence in our life. He gets bigger, like Lucy and Aslan, right? You're getting bigger. No. Uh, your view of me is getting bigger. I'm who I am. And so that's why we call him Wonderful Counselor. That's why we call him Mighty God. That's why we call him Everlasting Father. That's why we have the courage and the confidence to call him the Prince of Peace. And so worship him in wonder and awe this Christmas. What would that look like for you? Uh, maybe you're a super creative person, and so you, you, you're going to do something very creative. Uh, you're going to sing, you're going to dance, you're going to write, you're going to paint. Uh, maybe you're, you're creative but in a practical way. You're going to bake things. You're going to make things. I don't know. Uh, maybe you're a person who says, you know, I'm going I'm to take out a different posture when I pray. I'm going to get on my knees. And, and if, if that's not good to, according to your orthopedic surgeon, um, I'm going to get on my face and, and I'm going to lay out of the floor and put my hands out. Or I'm going to lay on my back with my hands out like I'm making a snow angel. Or I'm going to sit in my chair and, and open my hands to God. I don't know what it will look like for you, but in whatever capacity you have and whatever method you can choose and, 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 and get excited about, worship him in wonder and awe this Christmas. As you come to Christmas Eve service tomorrow night, be praying that God would prepare you to meet him in a fresh way. Be praying for those people you've invited who you might hope will come or you know will come. And pray that God would be preparing them even if they don't know it. Pray an unauthorized prayer on their behalf. They've got to be preparing them to meet him in a new way. Why? Because Advent means wonder. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would drive that into our hearts, that you'd fire up our minds with that uh, reality and that deep truth, that we have the capacity to wonder and delight, to ponder and treasure who you are and what you've done and what you are doing in us and around us and through us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Steve.
This brings us to a time of tithes and offering as the ushers come forward to receive it. If you have that connection or prayer card, you can fold that and put that in the basket. But it's a time where those who call LJCC home celebrate what God is doing. It's part of our act of worship as we give back to him. So let's continue our worship with giving and song.
What does it look like to meditate and to go deep in, in absorbing and in, in, in uh, you know, internalizing God's word? And then how does that affect our work in the world and our partners in that work? So we have uh, a lot to look forward to as we move into this new year together. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord loves you more than you can ask or even imagine. Give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him. Both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.